Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Good morning. Hi, Cornerstone Church. Good to see you. It's been a while, been a couple of years. I just got so yearning to see you. I just called Willie and said, I'm coming. He didn't even invite me. I invited myself. What, isn't that kind of good? Yeah, just invite yourself. Like to John's home group, just invite yourself, right? Good to see you. Amen. Well, we're going to have a good morning, and uh, it's good to be here in the fall. Man, what a beautiful drive I had Friday afternoon driving up from uh, North Carolina. This is just like peak leaf season. And I stayed in the, in the, the big city of uh, Bedford. How many know where that is? <laughs> there were no hotels. I felt like Mary and Joseph on Christmas Eve. There were no rooms in the inn anywhere. So, uh, yeah, it was beautiful out there. So, good to see you. Um, talking with Sam and, and Pastor Willie. A little bit yesterday, we were sharing some things about uh, Impact Churches. You know, Cornerstone, and uh, you're part of a relationship of churches called Impact Churches. It used to be called Grace Churches International. And about two years ago, we made a shift in uh, some of our philosophies and some of the things we're doing. So M-P-A-C-T, Impact, is an acronym uh, that means a mentoring community to plant, assess, coach, and train leaders for maximum impact in the kingdom. So we have a real heart to really step up the training uh, of future leaders and plant more churches, and that's kind of the, the identity of that. But uh, Michael Fletcher of Mana Church in Fayetteville, he still leads that group, and uh, we meet three or four times a year. Um, we have a meeting next week, in fact, and just get equipped and resourced, and uh, it's part of what you get. You get resourced. Willie gets resourced, the other leaders that go down there. So it's great to be part of a family. Amen? And so it's good to be with you again. Um, we had a great morning yesterday. We met with the, some of the men and some of the leaders and talked about growth cycles of the church, and that was powerful. And uh, then we, had, we were in uh, Sam's, what do you call it, prophetic class? Yeah, prophetic training, which is what a lot of what I do when I travel. I travel full-time in uh, teaching and prophetic ministry, and I give oversight to about 10 or 12 churches. And uh, been in 12 nations already this year. Been a busy year. But I put my passport away for 60 days, give it a rest. And we take off and go to uh, Uganda in January again. So God is on the move. That's the good news. He's moving everywhere. He's moving in Muslim countries. He's moving where the Buddhists are stirring up trouble. And he's moving in Europe. I was just talking with a sister yesterday. She said, I got a chance to go to Germany. I said, go. Go to Germany. We had great meetings in Germany in June. Um, God was just prophesying about new buildings and expansion. This is in Germany. Uh, Spirit of God's moving. There you are. Spirit of God's moving in Germany. Uh, in Belgium, and so uh, God is good. In Cambodia, uh, I was there in, in Malaysia in September. Um, this is ringing a lot. Should I move it down? Belly button? Okay. Um, Cambodia is now in the top 10 nations that have the fastest rate of conversions to Christianity. And so it's just great to see that God, you know, God's not handicapped at all. <laughs> His arm is not too short to save, right? And so if he can do it in all those crazy places, he can do it right here in Lynchburg. Amen. Part of the Bible belt here. Amen. There's churches everywhere. But you know what? Uh, we were talking yesterday about church growth and church planting. There's, there's 7,000 churches a year close, die. They either die or they close or the pastor resigns. And so we need to be pushing and pushing more for church planting and uh, more uh, bringing in the harvest. And so I know the Great Commission says, first of all, go right? We, got, we have to go. I mean, two-thirds of God's name is go, right? 
we have to go, and you have to go. That means we all get out of here this afternoon sometime. <laughs> I'm kidding. Did you just, is that, they set that clock back yet? Let's, let's set it back one more time. <laughs> just in case. Because that's what I'm going to go by. No, okay. All right, you ready to go? Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to share an interesting story that you probably are all very familiar with. This is about the Samaritan and the Spirit. How many ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan? You heard that? Okay. How many never raise your hand in church? I see your hands. Okay. That's what I thought. Okay. So this is a, a story. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school the first time. Maybe you just heard it uh, as far as a term used about someone that rescues someone else. Uh, there's automobile clubs called the Good Sam Club and things like that because it's you know, the basic story is, you know, some guy needs rescuing and along comes a good Samaritan and, and then we kind of translate into uh, a little message, you know, to be a good Christian, you got to be a good Samaritan, so be good to people, go rescue people, help them, they're stranded on the road, somebody needs a lift, somebody, you know, just be a good Samaritan, right? That's kind of the, the little message, you know, and the kids come out of Sunday school, I'm going to try to be a good Samaritan this week and that's kind of the basic message a lot of us take away out of this story, but there's a whole lot more going on in this story, actually. Um, let's read through it, and then uh, we're going to take it apart a little bit this morning and see some things that are, are really powerful, things that uh, speak to us about our, our current situation and, uh, and see just exactly what this story is really about from a biblical standpoint this morning. We're in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Just understand, that's the context of this story. Sometimes we, don't, we think the context is you've got to go out and do good things for people. No, it starts with a question from a lawyer who said, what must I do to have eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it, Mr. Lawyer? And he answered and said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, this is the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, um, and just who might my neighbor be? <laughs> I got the loving God thing down. I can do that. I can love God. I can sing. I can lift my hands. I can pray. I got the loving God thing down, but this neighbor thing's got me a little worried. Right? Well, I can't love everybody, and I've got several neighbors, and I don't really get along with too many of them. I don't even know the guy behind me. And just who is my neighbor? Tell me who he is. I'll love him too. I'll love God, and I'll love that guy. <laughs> Not bad. Didn't even say neighbors. He said neighbor. One, pick one. Pick one neighbor, love him, and you'll have eternal life. It's easy. So Jesus replies to this question now. First, he had, he had, the lawyer asked two questions. What must I do to have eternal life? Okay. And then he asked the second question, who's my neighbor? Because the answer to the first question was love God and love your neighbor. And so he asked the other question, well, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus didn't tell him who his neighbor was. He didn't say it's Bob Smith or, you know, Mr. Jones on the left. He, he told him a story to answer the question, who is my neighbor? And here's the story that we all know so well. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. That's what they did. They barely could get the word out of their mouth. They were such a detestable people to the Jews. They would literally, if they had to even say the word, they would spit afterwards to cleanse their mouth. And here Jesus is telling this Jewish lawyer. And then along came a Samaritan. You can see him going, ugh, ugh, a Samaritan, yuck. <laughs> yep, along came a Samaritan. As he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. See, he's, he uses the Samaritan. He's like, this is the most unlikely guy. And you could tell the lawyer's getting nervous now because he asked, who's my neighbor? He said, well, there's this priest. Oh, I could, I could get along with the priest. But he passed by. And then there's this uh, lawyer, he, Levite. He got, oh, I could get along with Levite. Oh, no, he passed him by. But the Samaritan, he's going, oh, no, don't tell me. Don't tell me I got to love a Samaritan. And he's setting him up, you see. He came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion, verse 34. And then he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him upon his own beast or his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. End of the story. That's the end of the story. So Jesus now turns back to the lawyer to answer his question, who's my neighbor? And he says, I'll, I'll make it easy on you, buddy. We'll, we'll make it multiple choice. This is not a fill in the blank. I'll, I'll actually give you multiple choice. And we'll narrow it down to three guys. Now, there's about six or seven guys in the story, at least. But he narrows it down to three. I mean, there's the, the guy, you know, in the road. There's the Levite. There's the priest. There's the innkeeper. There's at least two thieves. Because I said thieves jumped him and all these things. So I'll, I'll make it easy. And I'll narrow it down. We'll narrow it down to three, A, B, or C. <clears throat> Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Got down to three what? These three. Which three? The three in the story that are marked out. The priest, the Levite, and then the Samaritan. He says, pick one of the three. And the guy's just going, oh, got to be the, the, I can't say it. Um, the, the, the guy, the guy that showed him mercy. So he couldn't even say Samaritan. Couldn't get it out of his mouth. Um, you know, the, 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 the guy that showed him mercy. That's, I guess that's the guy kind of acquiesced to that, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. That's the end of the story. And so we tend to, the takeaway is go do likewise is like, well, just go be nice to people. Go be nice to people. Be a, be a good Samaritan. So let's go back and just rehearse a few things here just to take it apart a little bit. This is such an amazing story that Jesus told because it's a huge picture a dispensational picture, to use that word, of actually the fall of Adam all the way to the second coming of Jesus. That's how big this story is. Jesus just went big on him. <laughs> because it starts out with um, this man going down. It's going from 
Jerusalem to Jericho, symbolic of man falling down. That's our, our journey is down. If you don't meet Jesus, you're going down. <laughs> is that true? We're all headed down. And this guy's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and thieves. That's the fall of man. We, we fell into the hands of the enemy because we're going down. We fell. And what does the enemy do? He strips us of our righteousness. He strips us of our identity. He strips us and uh, puts us into a state of poverty. He took his, his raiment off, which was always symbolic of your wealth and your status. And he put sickness upon him because he says he, he uh, left him half dead, beat him up, left him in a, a terrible physical condition, and left him in a terrible spiritual condition, half dead. Now, everybody that's breathing, raise your hand. I'm going to get you all to raise your hands yet, so okay, that's good. I, know, I realize some of you aren't breathing yet, but we, we'll get there. Um, you're breathing, and your body is alive, okay? And if you've been born again, as we say, your spirit is alive. But see, until you're born again, you're half dead. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. When they fell, they fell spiritually, and they became spiritually dead. And that's our condition. We're in the condition. So in the story, if you want to get in the story today... Uh, you and I, we're the half-dead person. This is a story about you and me, a story about our redemption. And here's the half-dead person really needing some help. And so along comes a priest. Somebody get me a priest. <laughs> I'm going down. Or for, or sorry, the Levite, for, Levite first comes, and the Levite comes, and you know the Levite represents the law. They were the, they were the keepers of the law. And so along comes help, okay, the law. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Keep the law. And along comes the law, couldn't help them. How many know the law can't save anybody? Right? The law didn't save you. The law can't save you. Now, what the law does, it points you to who can. So Paul said in Romans, the law's good, it's not bad, it just can't save you. It's like an x-ray. How many know an x-ray can't save you, it can't heal you? You go to the doctor, he says, We need to take an x-ray. For what? To find out what's wrong inside of you. So you take your x-ray, he comes down and he says, well, we took an x-ray, how do you feel now? <laughs> you feel any better? He goes, no, I'm kind of hoping you can tell me what's wrong, right? So that's what the law does. It tells you what's wrong, but it can't fix you. So it just passed him by. See, the law can't save us, it passes us by. But then along comes religion, along comes the priest. We need, need something, something religious to maybe help us. But the religion of that day couldn't save. So neither the Levite nor the priest could help the man because the law was never designed to save man and religion was never designed to save man. What God designed was a relationship with a Savior. That's what saves us, is a Savior. It didn't say any, a Savior came by. It just said the law came by, the Levite and the priest. But by chance they came. Remember, by chance they came. This was like a, they weren't planning. They, they weren't looking for uh, people that needed help that day. They weren't saying, you know, as we're going around the world, let's look for somebody who needs some help. It's like when you get ready to go to Walmart, you're saying, hey, and on the way, let's just keep our eyes open for somebody who might need a little help. Somebody stranded on the road. Maybe somebody got a flat tire. I mean, that's the goal here. Yeah, we'll get to the store, but the real goal is to try to help somebody. We, most of us, we, that's not on, our, not on our plate, as we say. So by chance, the law came and uh, it was there way after faith. Faith came through Abraham. So this chance thing 
was uh, kind of just Jesus showing the, the lawyer, you know, how these things just were not really the design. But what was designed was a journey of the Samaritan. He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he was journeying, he came to where he was. He came to where he was, not by chance. He was on a journey with a purpose. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he didn't look at him and go, you're having a rough day, aren't you, buddy? I'll, want me to call 911? Can I, can I do anything for you? He actually went right to where he was. He had compassion on him. He went to him, and he poured in oil and wine, healing him, binding up his wounds. You know, when we were in our decrepit depravity and condition before we met Jesus, that was us. And, you know, you meet Jesus, he just doesn't say, bring, there, now you're saved, you get to go to heaven. And he comes to us. So we were singing the song this morning, how, how he loves us. He noticed the Samaritan had compassion. He loved that man. Never met him before. But he had compassion on him. Where did he get that compassion from? He's a Samaritan. We don't know who the guy was that fell. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Chances are he was a Jew. Here comes the, the, the people that the Jews hated, the Samaritans. And he came to where this guy was, the most unlikely person, see? He came to where he was and he had compassion. Where did he get that compassion from? Well, you have to say it wasn't natural. So it was supernatural. <laughs> he had supernatural love. That's the love of the Father. Supernatural compassion. And he bound up his wounds. He says, you've been wounded. And you can't fix yourself. But I can fix you. He bound up his wounds. And then he poured in two elements. He poured into his woundedness oil and wine. Interesting. He had those with him. <laughs> he had those with him. He didn't say, I'll be right back. I've got to go get some oil, and I'm going to pick up some wine, too, on the way. He didn't say that. He had them with him. He was prepared. And so after he did that, it says he set him on his own animal, and then he brought him to an inn. He took him to the Super 8 down there in Bedford. I don't highly recommend it, but any port in a storm is all right. <laughs> Actually, it's beautiful. The mountains are there. But he took him to a hotel, took him to the inn. And when he went into the inn, he just didn't drop him on the front door. He went in, he paid for a room, he took care of him, he actually spent the night with him, because it says the next day, so he, he made sure he was okay that night, the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave it to the innkeeper and said, now take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Two denarii. What's, why two denarii? Well, a, a denarii was typical of one day's wages in those days. He took out two, two days' wages. And the more symbolic than that, Peter tells us, First, Second Peter 3, 8, says that, you know, to the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. So he basically said, I'm going I'm to turn him over to you, Mr. Innkeeper, and you take care of him for, you know, about 2,000 years. If there's any more, I'll repay when I come back. So we see from the fall of man to the return of Jesus in this story. Jesus is a brilliant storyteller. <laughs> That's the end of the story. When I come back. So, which of these three do you think to be the neighbor now? 
And um, guy, again, he couldn't say, couldn't say Samaritan. He goes, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the guy, the guy that showed him mercy. He couldn't say Samaritan. He says, yeah, that's the guy. You're right. Go and do likewise. But go back to the beginning. He says, what must I do to have eternal life? And the answer is not go and be nice to people. Because the answer was love God and love your neighbor. And then the question that came out of the lawyer the second time was, well, then who's my neighbor? And the answer is, Jesus says, it's me. I played the part of the Samaritan. The Samaritan is me. I'm the one that comes, and I'm the one that rescues, and I'm the one that saves, and I'm the one that heals, and I'm the one that takes care of my own. And so, you want eternal life, Mr. Lawyer? Love God and love me. That's the essence of the story. Love God and love me. Because he's teaching the lawyer how to love Jesus. And he teaches them by an example of how Jesus loves us and what he does for us. And there's an unseen helper in this whole story. This is really cool. Symbolically, there's a couple symbols in here that also disclose we have the Father. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. you got to love me. But see, he says, we don't come alone, me and the Father. We gotta, there's an unseen helper. <laughs> He's on our team called the Holy Spirit. How many know we have a triune God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? He's the unseen helper. Because in this story, when the Samaritan came, he didn't come empty-handed, did he? When he met the guy, what did he have? Oil and wine, didn't he? Yeah, those are always symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. So he pours in the oil. The oil is always symbolic of new birth. First he saves them. Then he pours in the wine, symbolic of being filled with the Spirit. And then he puts them on his beast. The beast represents one who bears burdens. And the Holy Spirit comes to bear our burdens. Jesus bears our burdens. He carries us. We cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. So there's the beast. He's, he's the unseen helper, too. And he, he takes him to the inn. What's the inn? It's the church. Because once you're born again and filled with the Spirit, and Jesus begins to carry you, he takes you to where you're going to be cared for until he comes back, and that's the church. And he turns you over to the innkeeper. And you say, well, that's, that must got to be the pastor. Kind of. He's the help. But see, even the innkeeper is the unseen helper. That's the Holy Spirit. That's his job. He's the superintendent of the church. He's the innkeeper because Jesus left. Samaritan left, right? Jesus has gone. He's in heaven, seated next to the Father. So who's running the show down here? The innkeeper, the Holy Spirit. And what's his job? Taking care of us. That's what Jesus said. Here's your job. Mr. Innkeeper, what? Take care of him. And if he spends anything else, I'll repay when I come back. You know, you can't outspend God's budget. Come on. God's got a big budget we got to reach the nations. It takes money. Every time I book a ticket with Delta Airlines, I say, any chance this flight could be free? <laughs> Not yet. And they've never said yes, but maybe someday. So it takes money to get on airplanes and to send people on trips and to go to the nations and take supplies and whatever we need to take with us. 
And God knows that, and Jesus knew it. He says, whatever, here, I'm going to pay, pay up ahead of time, and if he spends any more, I'll take care of it when I come back. So the ultimate steward here is the Holy Spirit. He's stewarding all the resources that God has. Everything you need, we go to God, and he will supply. So let's just talk about the Holy Spirit just a little bit more, because this is what this is all about. You know, the oil and the wine, I said, are symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do a lot of stuff. <laughs> he doesn't have just one job. Yeah, he's the innkeeper, but boy, he's, got a, he's a multitasker. Um, he's got two main ministries, though. He regenerates hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh. That's what Titus says, that you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He brings new birth. Yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but it's the Holy Spirit. He's behind the power of regeneration. He's the one that regenerates you and causes new birth to come. And that's why he's always symbolized, or oil is always symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the, the picture of the, the temple that God gave to Moses, there was the outer court, the inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies. And there's just tons of symbolism there. But the one I want to just think about is inside that Holy of Holies, there was a veil. And uh, it was there, and only the high priest could go in once a year to atone for the sins of the people. It was the most holy place, technically where the Holy Spirit resided. And, you know, when Jesus died, the veil was torn, wasn't it? And, you know, we always think like, wow, we can get in now. There's no more curtain. We get to go in. But that's not really the deal. <laughs> the veil was rent or torn not so that we could go in, it's so the Holy Spirit could come out. Because <laughs> he was behind the curtain the whole Old Testament, wasn't he? <laughs> he was behind the curtain. And finally, when Jesus died, the curtain, God says, okay, you can come out now. And boy, on day of Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit. And it was the game changer. It changed everything. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would every now and then sneak out under covert assignments by the, by the Lord. <laughs> he'd send them to get on a guy like Samson and make him super strong. And he'd send them to do a couple of miracles for Elijah. And he sent him on covert operations, but he didn't dwell inside of man. And so oil is a type of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. There's this coming in of the Holy Spirit. He poured in the oil first, didn't he? And that's the indwelling. But then he said, I'm not stopping there. You get the wine too. There's another symbol that represents the Holy Spirit. He just didn't say, here's a little oil. Hope you feel better. Now you're born again. Have a great life. He didn't leave them just in that condition. He said, no, wait, wait, wait. I got more. Well, God always has more. I got more for you. And he poured in the wine. Not, not, he, he filled them with the oil for new birth, but then he, or he, he was dwelling there. But then he filled them up with the wine of the Holy Spirit so that he could function and be whole and represent him in the earth. There's always the oil and then the wine. God's just that way. He's twofold. So you have a twofold kind of experience when you come to God. And that's what it was symbolized in the story here of the Good Samaritan. On the day of Pentecost, there was oil and wine poured out. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up to preach, he preached out of the book of Joel. 
He goes to Joel and he says, let me identify for you what's going on here. So he quotes Joel chapter 2. And in the the context of Joel 2, he says, Be glad, O children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. He has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain. And then he says this, The threshing floors will be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. On the day of Pentecost, the vats of heaven were tipped over. Joel prophesied it there. Peter picks up on it on the day of Pentecost. And there were two vats that overflowed out of heaven that day. A vat full of oil to bring new birth to people and a vat full of wine to fill them with the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter said, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I mean, that's the most amazing thing. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. You begin to talk to God. And He talks to you. (laughs) That's what it means to be prophetic. Prophetic is not something weird. It's not an elite group of people. It's not, to be prophetic means you have a relationship with God and you can talk to him and he talks back. Amen. A pastor friend of mine was helping uh, someone in his church, a lady who was having some mental problems. She was on some medication where she was getting better and she went in for an evaluation for her insurance to a psychiatrist. What do you think the first question the psychiatrist said in evaluating this sister was? Do you hear voices? <laughs> and the pastor sits there and he's, he's going, I do. I hear voices all the time. It's okay. You know, that's, that's what the world says. If you hear voices, you're crazy. In the kingdom, if you don't hear voices, you're crazy. You don't hear voices, you ought to be hearing the voice of God. That's natural. We were made that way. In Genesis 127, it says, God created man, male and female, he created them. And it says, and he blessed them. And then he said to them, first thing God did after he made man was talk to us. That's our createdness. Our created order is to be prophetic, to hear God. We were made that way. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. That's a statement of truth. That's not a prayer. That's John 10. That's not John 17. John 10 says, my sheep, they hear my voice, and they know me. And yeah, that's the way it is. That's what happens when the vats overflowed in heaven that day. And so we constantly see... Oil and wine being used throughout is a double blessing, the double blessing of God. David, David had it right out of Psalm 23. You anoint my head with oil, right? My cup runs over. <laughs> that's, that's the double blessing. David caught it in, in the old, good old 23rd Psalm. So there's many more scriptures. I won't go into them, but just I challenge you, go back, read some of the Psalms. Read some, just go back and look at some of the scriptures that deal with the oil and the wine and how it's, it's how God pours out. It's, it's the symbolism. And even the story of the Good Samaritan, it was all symbolic. It was a story to help us understand God's work in the earth, God's work in you, in me, in new birth and those things. So, Good Samaritan pours in two elements. He comes to live in us. We go to dwell with him. And uh, after he gives the oil, he wants you to have the wine. And I want to just look at this last little parable here. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9. If you turn to Matthew 9, it's just one verse. Matthew 9 and verse 17. This is a graphic, another graphic of the use of the oil and the wine. It's a great little parable. You you could probably uh, say it from memory. Let's just look at it together. Matthew 9, verse 17. Jesus said this, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, the wine is spilled, The skins are destroyed, so new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. 
or another other translation say new wine is put into uh, new wine since they use the word new but it's two different Greek words there what he's really saying is you have new wine which is brand new wine is put into a renewed or a freshened up wineskin see wineskins in those days were usually the something out of the intestines of an animal like their their bladder or their stomach or something and, and uh, they would they would uh, dry them out and then they would put oil on them get them all soft and ready to put wine in or water or whatever in this case they would put wine in and they would stretch and they had to be pliable because the wine would ferment and things like that so you got to realize that uh, you put brand new wine into a renewed wineskin. And the way that they renewed the wineskin was with oil. And think about it. We go back to the story of the Good Samaritan. The guy in the road, which is you and me, that was us. An old, dried out, beaten up, useless wineskin. A wineskin, but good to nobody. And Jesus came to you, and he came to me in our dried-up, useless condition. <laughs> and the first thing he did, he had compassion, and then he poured in the oil. He started rubbing on us. <laughs> he started oiling us up with new birth, got us healed, flexible, prepared to receive what? The wine. Yeah. You don't put brand-new wine into an old wineskin. It'll burst. First you pour in the oil. You get it ready. And then you pour in the wine. And then it says, according to the story, both are preserved. The wineskin and the wine were preserved by the Holy Spirit. He's our down payment. He's the preserver. We were the dead wineskin, but our good Samaritan came didn't he? Our Jesus came to where we were and poured in the oil and the wine. You know, some of you are here today, you've had the oil of new birth. Said, I've, I've been oiled up by God. He came to where I was, poured in that oil, and I've been born again. Well, that's good. That is, that's great. <laughs> you know what that means? You're prepared. Now you're prepared for what? The wine. <laughs> Some of you are out here and you're, you're all oiled up, but you haven't got the wine yet. <laughs> right? And that's, that's the good stuff, really. That brings joy. I mean, all the symbolism of the, of the wine of infilling, it talks about joy and, you know, you need that. And God knew we needed that. That Samaritan just didn't need a little healing. He needed some joy back in his life. I mean, you know that. God comes to not just heal you, but fill you with his joy. And so if you might be here this morning. I want you to... Uh, just bow your head with me. But maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've never received the oil of new birth. You say, you know what? That's, that's me. I'm dead in my sins and trespasses, as the Bible would say. I, I, I need healing. I, I need to be born again. I need my, my half-dead condition to be restored, to become fully alive, and I need the oil of the new birth. If that's you, just bow your head, close your eyes for a minute. If that's you this morning, say, I, I need new birth. I need to be born again. I need to meet the good Samaritan and have him minister life to me. If that's you, just slip your hand up real quick. Say, that's me. Well, praise God. We are among the oiled ones. 
you're all oiled. Of course, there might be somebody that still never raised your hand in church. That's okay. Uh, but maybe you're here and you're all oiled. You've received the oil of new birth. That means you're prepared to receive the infilling. Maybe you haven't received that yet. Maybe you didn't realize, hey, there's two things. I get the oil and I get the wine. And if that's you, just slip your hand up. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just slip your hand up and say, I want that. Good, okay, put your hands down. We're not going to embarrass anybody. and We're just going to pray right now. And all we're going to pray is that you just open your heart to receive that. Those of you that raised your hands. I'm going to pray it right now. Everybody just keep your heads down. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just ask that you uh, pour in not only the oil, but the wine of the Holy Spirit this morning. Just, and, you know, some of you, uh, Paul instructed Ephesian Christians to uh, continually be filled with the Spirit. The, the Greek word there, to be filled with the Spirit, was to be continually filled with the Spirit. He said, don't be drunk with natural wine. <laughs> he says, but be filled with the spiritual wine, is what he's saying. That's a play on words there. Be filled with the spiritual wine singing and making melody in your heart. That's a joyful response, see? So just right now, and I, I'm just going to ask you, if you want to, you just kind of just put your hands out, lift your hands, you just, whatever you want to do, just, just open up your wineskin this morning. <laughs> just open up your wineskin and let the good Samaritan come and pour in fresh wine, fresh, a refreshing of the Spirit. I just feel like some of you need a refreshing of the Spirit. In fact, I, I'll just, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. How many, you know, Christianity should be, a moving religion. <laughs> you know, we should, we should demonstrate life. And some of you do. We always sit there on Sunday morning like, okay, when's this going to be over? And uh, sometimes just say, okay, God, I'm going to respond. Our worship needs to be respond. So just, just respond to the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's just, just do that and just receive however you want. You don't have to put your hands up, but I like putting my hands up. Sign of surrender because I'm, I'm in need of surrendering all the time. And just lift your hands. And, and I'm just going to pray, Father, fill us this morning. Fill us with your spirit afresh. Pour in new wine, O oh God, into Cornerstone Church this morning. Pour in fresh new wine that we might overflow. Like David said, my cup, it runs over. I don't just want a half a cup. I don't want a three quarters. I want it so full that it spills out into other people's life when I get around them. May our cups run over with the new wine and the refreshing of your spirit, Father. And we receive it receive it. Just receive. That's all you got to do. Paul came to some oiled up wineskins that had been born again. Paul came up to him and said, hey, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? He said, we didn't know there was any Holy Spirit. We didn't know there was any wine. He said, yeah, man. There is. You can have it. All you got to do is receive it. And when he did, man, they began to speak in tongues. <laughs> they began to prophesy. They didn't go to class. It just happened. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit fills you respond to him so just begin to respond just talk to him a little remember you get to talk to God we're, we're a talking religion okay we talk to our God he talks to us just give him thanks right now say father thank you for filling me I received your grace this morning we received the ministry of the good Samaritan freshly through this story today father you've opened our eyes You've healed us. You've poured in the oil. You're pouring in wine this morning, and we receive that refreshing. Father, we thank you. It's powerful. We, re we respond to you, Lord. Oh, Father, we respond to the loving care of the innkeeper who cares for us, meets all of our needs. We receive that work today, fresh in our hearts. Some of you are getting filled up this morning, like with fresh wine. 
Don't, don't stop until your cup runs over. Because <laughs> remember, this, this relationship with Jesus is not just for you, it's for others. God wants you to share it. God wants you to overflow with his spirit. Thank you, Lord. It's not something I can do. I can just tell the story. I can pray. But God tips over the vats in heaven and fills his people. And he takes care of us until he comes again. Thank you for that, Father. Mmm, it's good. I just want to tell you something. It feels better in this room already. It just feels better. It just feels better. You start, you start lifting up Jesus and you start asking the Holy Spirit to come, I'll tell you what, you'll feel better. It just feels right. It's the right thing to do because that's the ministry of Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, come and minister to us, please. Just come. Don't, I don't, I don't want to turn it off right away, but that's okay. Sometimes we just need to stand in his presence and realize he is at work right now. Right now he's at work. He's pouring out. He's got plenty. Some of you are so empty, you're not even sure it's, you, got, you got anything in there yet. Just, hey, wait. Wait upon the Lord. It says they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Some of you need to be renewed in your strength this morning. Some of you just barely, you got an extra hour of sleep, it still wasn't enough. You don't need an extra hour of sleep, you need an extra hour in his presence right? We need, we need his presence. And that's what we get. That's what we get. We thank you, Lord. God, you're good. Wow, you're good. Mm. Pouring in the oil and the wine. Thank you, Lord. All we got to do is lay there and receive it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Father. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in the earth today. Church, I'll tell you what, the enemy hates the Holy Spirit. He is doing all he can in this hour to shut him down. It's sad, but there are Bible-believing Christians that are just denying the work of the Holy Spirit at all. I don't know how you can, but they are. And we just need to keep saying, he's the deal. <laughs> That's who Jesus sent. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you a helper, and he will be with you. So if Jesus sent him to us, how can we deny him and say we don't need him? He doesn't do anything. He's got gifts. He's got power. He's got oil. He's got wine. He's a talking machine. <laughs> he's got a direct hotline to heaven. You can talk in his language anytime, anywhere, and it's direct hotline. Boom. You don't have to use English. You don't have to, you don't have to think. You can just talk to him in his language. His language is powerful. Maybe some of you here this morning, I'm just going to wait on God. Some of you here this morning saying, I didn't know he had a language. Oh, he does. He's got his own language. It's the language of heaven. That's part of the, what he does. When he pours in the oil and the wine, that infilling of the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to talk directly to God. That's what happened to those disciples in Acts 19, verse 1 through 6. Paul said, receive the Holy Spirit. They started talking in heavenly language. They started talking directly to God. They didn't talk to Paul. They talked to God, and then guess what? They started prophesying. That's God talking to you. They talked to God. And then God said, now tell them this. And they began to prophesy to each other. I don't know what he said. It didn't record the prophecy, but it's something like this. Now go and do likewise. That's probably what God said. That's, that was probably one of the prophecies that came out of those guys. Come on, go and do likewise. What Paul just did for you, you go and do for them. Go lay hands on people and fill them with the Holy Ghost. That's probably what one of the prophecies could have been, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Go and do likewise. That's the whole point of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a great story, but what if it stays in the book? <laughs> we don't want to leave it this morning in Luke chapter 10. We want to take it out into Lynchburg and the, the region around us here. We want to take the work of the Holy Spirit out of here when we go today. Go and do likewise. What's that mean? Go have compassion on people, Cornerstone Church. Go have compassion. And you've got oil and wine with you. See, when you get filled with it, it never, doesn't leave you. And you get to go and distribute it. The people that really need it, those that are half dead and on their way down. So, Father, we thank you. This is a day of filling. It's a day of recommissioning. It's a day we go and do the works of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we do it. And we are honored, Lord. We, we will worship you and we will give you praise and thanks. And we will speak in your language when we don't know what to say, Romans 8 says. We don't know what to say. Oh, the Holy Spirit knows what to say. He's never at a loss for words. Because he prays, the Bible says, according to the will of the Father. He never misses a prayer. He never misses it. That's why I, like the Apostle Paul, say, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than y'all because when I speak in tongues, my prayers, they don't miss it. My English prayers, they're a little selfish sometimes. They're a little off. But never when the Holy Spirit's praying through you. Never. We need this, church. We so need the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time event. He is the innkeeper that ever lives in this dispensation to care for you. He's caring for you right now. He's taking care of you until Jesus comes back. And Father, we will go and do likewise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Is there somebody you want to I just want to go. I want to just stand here like I don't want to miss a drop, you know. Don't want to go out half empty, half full. Come on, just one more time. Just I just want it all. Amen. Let's thank him. Yeah, praise him. That's response of the heart. Thank you, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace.